1: Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at BeatTheStigma.org.
0: Hi, and welcome back to Who Did What Now? The history podcast that is not your history class. With me, you're uh, overly enthusiastic host, Katie Charlwood, true crime enthusiast and reader of books. Welcome, welcome one and all. Welcome back. How has everyone's week been? So as some of you may know, uh, I have an issue with Stockholm Syndrome. So there's a few things that uh, are sort of weirdly in popular culture and generally accepted as, uh, you know, generally accept su- somebody's chewing their words today generally accepted within society even though we have not really much of a basis for it it's kind of like you know how we see patterns that aren't there because we're designed our brain is designed to see patterns babies are designed to recognize human faces like that's that's their thing it just yeah so I think as well that correlation does not equal causation is very much a part of this, but I feel strongly about this. I've, Stockholm Syndrome is a fallacy. It's not real and I believe that many of many of the very real conditions are often lumped in and swept under this Stockholm Syndrome umbrella, even though they either exist in their own right or do not necessarily Belong there, like um, trauma bonding, IPV, PTSD, um, conditioning, so on and so forth. You know they're all different things, but for some reason they're consistently lumped under this umbrella. Now, so I thought what I talk about today is I I have already yes, surprisingly enough, I've already talked about this on TikTok, but I'm going to go into greater depth and tell you about. The Origins of Stockholm Syndrome. Otherwise known as the... Okay, forgive me, Swedish people, for my terrible pronunciations. The... Normalmstorg Robbery. I'm so sorry. Uh, Oh, my goodness, sources. So, y'all love my sources. So, I listened to the Memory Motel podcast, the Criminal Podcast. Um, The Memory Motel podcast had an interview with uh, one of the hostages... The criminal podcast was great. And there was also a History.com article by Christian Klein from 2019. There was a Smithsonian article. I don't remember where that was from. There was the bank drama from The New Yorker from 1975. That was an interesting one. And jan Eric Olsen, he also wrote a book called um, Stockholm Syndrome. So Stockholm Syndrome, effectively. Um, And he released that in 2009. Okay, and, um, I read an article from 2013, uh, called 40 R Sardan Dramat Vid Normalstorg, 40 years after the Normalstorg robbery. I watched a video called, um, 40 R Sardan Dramat Vid Normalstorg, 40 years after the Normalstorg robbery. Um, and I, I got my brother to translate it because my brother lives in Sweden. <laughs> anyway, those are my sources. Okay let's get into this. So yes, first of all, Stockholm Syndrome was actually named after an event that happened in Stockholm. I know a lot of people, uh, I didn't know that. A lot of people didn't know that. Um, I discovered. <laughs> but yeah, so on. So we're going to go back to the 70s. So it's the 23rd of August, 1973. And the Sveriges Credit Banking is, you know, doing its banking stuff. It's in the fancy part of normalstorg, normalmstorg. I God, I'm going to ruin these pronunciations. And in walks, and a masked man enters the bank, pulls a loaded submachine gun, fires at the ceiling, and um, <clears throat> disguises his voice to sound like an American person, and shouts in English, The party has just begun! So, who is this criminal? You ask. Well, it is none other than Jan Eric Olsen, a safe cracker who was on furlough from prison, and just didn't return, uh, because he was on because he it was, because he was serving a three year sentence for gland larceny. Hooray! <laughs> so, so Olsen, <clears throat> Olsen, Well, Olsen doesn't know is that a silent alarm has been triggered. And because of that, um, two police officers respond. You know, as a result of this, he ends up shooting, shooting at one, hitting him in the hand, and the other has to sit in a chair singing a song. Honestly, I mean, okay. And so he takes four people hostage and then sends, you know, gets everyone out the bank. What I think is really funny... Like, I love this little part, is that before he sends everyone out the bank, apart from, obviously, his four hostages, uh, there's, you know, just a dude there with his wife, and he's like, my my wife needs her medication. And so Olsen goes and gets it for him and gives it to him for the wife. Like, that's... I find it's, like, it's such a juxtaposition from the man who came in and just shot the place... And he's like, oh, but here's your medicine. Of course, have a good day now. <laughs> like, like, what? Okay. So once he has his hostages secure, Olson asks for uh, his friend, Clark Olofsson, to be brought there. He was his prison roommate, um, where he had previously tried to help escape. He was waiting outside in the car and dynamite had been smuggled in. But Olofsson wasn't he failed to detonate the dynamite for whatever reason. So that, that didn't work. But anyway, this did. Uh, so he demands that Olufsen gets brought there. Three million Swedish kroner, two guns, bulletproof vests, helmets. And a blue Ford Mustang. You know, And this is for the release of the hostages. I'm going to apologise for mispronouncing names. But the four hostages were Kristen Enmark. Bergita Lindblad, Elizabeth Aldgren, and the only male hostage, uh, Sven Saffstrom. So Olofsson, um was a bit different to, different to Olson. So Jan Eric Olson, as opposed to Clark Olafsson. Clark Olafsson was more of a violent criminal. Like he'd done armed robberies via. It was you know his cr- crimes tend to be a bit more violent, whereas Olson was, you know. A safe cracker. <laughs> so they bring Olafson in, um, and he's to be used as a, you know a communication link um, with the police negotiators. One of whom is psychologist. So this psychiatrist, uh, Niles Bejerot, Bejerot, B E J E R O T. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, he was the he was the psychiatrist that was actually leading the police respondent but we're gonna but we're we're gonna get back to him, we're gonna get back to him, so yeah Ergelson he's in the bank, he's got Oliveson, he's got his four hostages, and so this siege lasts over six days, and this becomes basically this huge blockbuster media event, like the Swedish people had never seen anything like it. The police had never dealt with anything like it. Like, and for many parts of the world, this is something they had never seen. The thing is with the police is, like, I'm fairly certain that the police and Mr Bejerot there had no training in hostage negotiations. Like, initially, they actually misidentify Jan Ergelsen. They think they found his younger brother, and they send in this teenage boy um, to negotiate accompanied by the psychiatrist Niles Bejerot only to have Olsen shoot at him and Olsen and Olavsen they are agitated clearly and what they did was so Clark Clark Ol- Clark Olsen, he you know he says to the hostages listen you know effectively Jan's not going to hurt you this isn't his thing he's just they've just put this random dude in don't worry about it you you're going to be okay. And one of the hostages actually said about it later that it's not that she felt safe, but she believed but she believed him and that he had more consideration for her safety than this man who brought in this random teenager, this child into a dangerous hostage situation. So, Kristen and Mark, she Asks to speak to Begerot. And he straight up refuses to talk to her. Like he goes in to do a negotiation. And refuses to speak to the hostages which are there. Olsen and Olsen, they are barricaded, um, barricaded in the inner main vault. Which is where they've kept the hostages. And they're negotiating and the negotiators agree that they can have a car to escape. But they won't allow them to take the hostages with them if they try to leave. And this is where the standoff actually starts. And the police bring in a phone so the hostages and their captors, they can communicate with the outside world. Um, Brigitte Lundblad, when she can't reach her family, you know, they, they tell her, you know, try again. Don't give up. They'll get through to you. Don't worry, like, you know, keep trying. Elizabeth Oldgren, uh, she complains of claustrophobia, so Olsen, you know, basically attaches a thirty-foot rope to her, and you know, lets her like leave the vault and walk around, <laughs> because she's claustrophobic. And Kristen and Emmark has um, bad dreams; she's shivering. <laughs> um, the the only male hostage, Sven Saffstrom, says we could says that you know the the. the Olsen was like really benevolent and that he treated them really, really well. So by day two, the hostages and the captors are all on a first name basis. And at this point, they're getting like, you know, getting really antsy with the police and the negotiators and everything that's kind of happening there. Because considering everything so far that's happened, they're being treated pretty well, you know, for hostages. So basically, you know, nothing is happening. People are freaking out and they're like, OK. You know, and at this point, it's starting to get so... um, It's on all the newspapers. It's everywhere. It's on the TV. And <laughs> so people start contacting the police headquarters and they're like, you know... How we can end the standoff? And they're like, we can have a religious concert by the Salvation Army band. We can send in a swarm of angry bees. Not the bees, <laughs> like, what? Who would? Okay, I love this. It. it makes me laugh so much. Anyway, <laughs> so, so basically, the the hostages start to think that the government is just playing with their lives because they're not really doing anything. So there's basically a live radio interview happens from the bank and Kristen Enmark just gets mad. She's like, you know, the government and the police are playing with our lives and they don't even want to talk to me. Who Direct quote, who is the one who will die if anything happens? So they felt that, the just felt that like they're, Likelihood of survival was just getting smaller and smaller, like the longer this was going on. So what she does is she's like, Okay, I'ma sort this out. Cause I love this. I love it. Like, she's a hostage and she's like, I'm I'ma sort this. She calls the Prime Minister of Sweden, Olaf Palm, and she literally begs him. To let her and another hostage leave the bank with their captors. She's like, I trust them. They haven't hurt us, they've been quite nice. But I'm I'm really afraid that the police will attack us and we will die. But the Prime Minister, Palm, just straight up refuses and says no. They're not going to give in to the demands of criminal criminal They're not going to give in to the demands of criminals. Also, additionally, furthermore, Palm said that she couldn't get out the bank and that she would have to be happy and find some solace that she died at her post. To which she responds, I don't want to be a dead hero. (sighs) Like... And at this point, the Prime Minister, you know, he's like, you know, the elections are coming up, and the King Gustav the Sixth is like very close to death. And he's like, eh nah. So then on the twenty-eighth of August, after six and a half days, basically over 130 hours, the police drill a hole into the vault, take a photo, which is the one if you've seen Stockholm Syndrome, that's generally the photo they use, and they pump tear gas into the vault. And you know what's funny is that Clark Olson Clark Olsen actually grabbed one of the hostages, pointed a gun at them and said, If you you know if you gas us, I will shoot the hostages. And the police did it anyway. Yeah, so there's tear gas in the vault. And Jan, Eric Olsen and Clark Olofsson, they, you know, they surrender. And the police are like, the hostages have to come out first. And then all four hostages are like, nope. Uh, they're going to go first because you'll just gun them down. you shoot them if you go out. We're going to follow. So, so they're in the doorway of the vault. The hostages and the captors are like, they hug, they kiss, they shake hands. And the police grab the, you know, they they grab the two guys. And two of the female hostages are crying. They're like, don't hurt them. They, they didn't harm us. And so basically, the police are parading, you know, down the street with the captors. And... And Enmark is just madder at this point. And she's like, Mmm, no. Uh, so she's told to lie on the stretcher and she's like, I walked in here six and a half days ago. I'm walking out. But they make her go on the stretcher anyway. And uh, and as she's wheeled away, she shouts, Clark, I will see you again. Effectively, the the police, they're like, This is weird. The police are like, hold the phone, what the fuck is this? What is going on? And they're like, they find it very strange that these um you know that the hostages and the captors are jovial and pleasant one another, they can't understand this connection they have. Um, the public don't understand it, the police don't understand it, and to the point that they actually investigate Kirsten Emmerich to see if she plotted the robbery with um Olsen and Olifson. So and because of all this, you know, confusion that was being pushed around and pummeled at everybody, um, Elizabeth Ogren, she, or she says, you know, she's speaking to a psychiatrist like, hey, like, hey, and she's like, is there something wrong with me? Why do I hate them? The trial happens. And, and so again, Enmark is, you know, Kristen, she, Kristen is criticising the police and she singles out this becherote to it again and in response and yet again without speaking to her he dismisses her comments as the product of a syndrome that he pulls out of his arse. Normalmstorg syndrome which obviously gets changed to Stockholm syndrome because you know one it is easier to say and who doesn't love alliteration. Uh, He states that the fear that she felt towards the police was irrational, and it was caused by the emotional or sexual attachment she had with her captors. And this gets, this blows up, because they're like, the press are all, the press and the media, they're like already suspicious, like I said before, and they think it's weird that she's not as traumatised as they want her to be. At one point a journalist says... It's hard to admit that she's, like, fresh and alert because apparently having clarity is proof that someone is sick, is suffering from some form of mental illness and attraction and de- toxic attraction. So she gets interviewed later on and she goes, and they're, you know, they're asked, you know, explain yourself. And she's like, yeah, I was afraid of the police. Why is that strange? Why is it strange that I'm afraid, you know, of people who are in parks, on roofs, behind corners? You know, they're in armoured vests, they're wearing helmets, they have weapons and they are ready to shoot. Why is it strange that I'm afraid of that? So both, okay, so the aftermath of the robbery, both Olsen and Olsen they're charged, they're convicted and so Clark Olofsson claims that you know he hadn't helped Olsen uh he'd only tried to save the sausages by keeping the situation calm and the Olofsson um basically when he actually gets out of jail uh like he meets Kristen Enmark and their families become friends and then he goes back to a life crime but Olsen, so Olsen is sentenced to 10 years in prison, and he receives like many, many um, letters from women who find him attractive. And he ends up getting engaged um, to a woman who's like, uh, not like, who was not um, one of the former hostages, which has been like rumored. He gets married and he moves to Thailand. But, yeah, so after he's released, he's, like, it alleged that he commits more crimes. Um, financial crimes. And he turns himself in to the police in 2006. And they're like, no. No. So, yeah, Olsen, yeah, he moves to Thailand with his wife who, and his son. And then moves back to Sweden in 2013. So, like, when they were in Thailand, they, they ran a supermarket... And then when he goes back to Sweden, he goes to... (laughs) He ends up having, like, a garage, like, a a repair shop for cars. And, like, now he's retired. And he ends up, like, apologising for his actions, you know, for, you know, the crime and stuff. And he he does this, and he actually apologises for, like, the whole hostage situation. So, like, I don't know. I, I kind of think that... The heist was what the plan was, but the hostage situation, like, was not an intentional part of that. Like he thought, "I'll go in, I'll get the money, and I will fuck off." Right? Genuinely think that was that. So here's the thing: the nor the normal nor- uh um, syndrome, Normalmstorg syndrome, basically, in, yeah, it's it's coined by himself, and they kind of leave it alone. <clears throat> So basically, Niles Bejerot, Bejerot, that arsehole, with the normal storg syndrome, you know, he coins it without bothering to even ask any of the hostages why. Which is kind of like an integral part of a case study, but that's neither here nor there. He ends up and then this it doesn't it's not really huge, people don't really um think about it. And then, like, later it it turns into Stockholm Syndrome. And <clears throat> effectively... um, So Stockholm Syndrome doesn't really come into wide use until um, the newspaper heiress, Patty Hearst, is kidnapped, which we will talk about at a later date. And the thing is that Stockholm Syndrome is basically this cultural term... And is used casually by psychologists but it has no diagnosis and in general mental health experts do not recognize stockholm syndrome as like an official mental health disorder stockholm syndrome is not a recognized psychological diagnosis there is no validated diagnostic criteria for stockholm syndrome and that most diagnoses of stockholm syndrome are made by the media not psychologists, not psychiatrists. And that there is such there is such little academic research on it um, that... So when <clears throat> mental health experts actually reviewed, you know, the literature on Stockholm Syndrome, they could not agree on how to diagnose it. And effectively, Stockholm Syndrome is a myth invented to discredit women victims of violence by psychiatrists. Niles Bergerot with an obvious conflict of interest whose first instinct was to silence the woman questioning his authority. It's just... Anyway. So there we go. That is the origin of Stockholm Syndrome. Why it's false. And yeah. Okay. So what did we learn today? What did we learn today? We learned that a petty psychiatrist is the reason that it, the cultural term Stockholm Syndrome exists. And that and that sometimes authority figures, the people who are meant to be protecting us, aren't. Which is super fun. Um, what have we learned? That sometimes men in authority are really fucking petty. <laughs> but yeah, so... I would absolutely suggest, um, but yeah, for more information, I would absolutely suggest listening to one of the podcasts, um, they have great interviews, recommend, okay, yes, wow, um, (laughs) cults, I love cults, they're fascinating, um, I am about to watch The Vow, I am very excited because I've heard it's awful, and I am gonna have a lie down because I am not feeling well, um. I am very excited. Oh, I ordered a bunch of books. I'm very (laughs) new with me. I ordered a bunch of history books because I'm that person. I get a few history books and yes, I ordered myself some books because I like um, a physical book. I ordered myself some books because I've tried ebooks and I find them just a little bit more difficult to deal with. Maybe it's the ADHD. I'm not no, I'm not entirely sure, um, but I'm I'm not keen on it to be honest. So what I've been doing is a couple of books, but then I got really mad because I'm I've been trying to get this book called Hood Feminism: Notes from the Women That That the Movement Forgot by Mickey Kendall, and it is. Oh, I want it so bad. Like this is the thing I love, especially I'm I, like I made. Um, like I made a conscious decision to try and get more, to read more stories from, first of all, women and stories, um, also stories. I do read, I don't know the last time I read a book that was fiction though. Oh, I don't think I read, I haven't really read fiction in a while. I generally read non-fiction, history, true crime, uh, (laughs) stuff like that. So... I've been trying to get hood feminism notes from the moment moment forgot because I've been trying to get more to ensure that I have a wider perspective on the world. So, you know, I'm trying to get from people of colour, from more women, you know, instead of continuously buying books from the straight white man, which is just because, you know, LGBT off, off... LGBTQ authors, you know, trying to gain different perspectives. So that's what I, um, oh, so yeah, I've ordered a bunch of books and I will let you know if they're good. So, uh, I've been watching, what have I been watching? I've been watching WandaVision. I'm very much here for WandaVision. I am so excited. I've been on TikTok. I'm like really enjoying One Division that's my current um thing but I have I have I am starting I'm about to start watching The Vow. so we'll see if that's any good um that's based on the Nixi Nix- Nixium cult novixium cult I don't remember So yeah I'm going to I will learn how to pronounce it after I watch it So yeah you can if you want to send anything to me I'm on Twitter at who did what pd I'm on Instagram as who did what pod I am on TikTok as Who Did WhatNow Pod and you can always email me at Who Did Pod at gmail.com if there's anything you want me to cover specifically, whether it's my history in sixty seconds or less on TikTok or whether you wanna something you feel like should be spoken about here on the podcast or on Instagram or anything like that, absolutely one hundred percent, I will hear you. Absolutely. But anyway, I have to go clean out my house tomorrow, because uh, I had to move house. I would move back home. And with that, I shall bid you farewell. Adios, au revoir. Au revoir zen, my friends. Goodbye.
1: As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China.